Well, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> it's good to see everybody that's here. I was like, I see people here, but they're not answering. So <laughs> um, it's good to see those of you who are with us too uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart to like to share. Uh, retweet there on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Click the notification bell. That'll also just help you to get that live notification. If you're not getting the live notification, just go back to the bell and make sure that you have it clicked for all and it'll do all of any time we go live, it'll come to you. And then also welcome to our phone live streaming to those who are listening uh, on that. If you need that number, uh, please be sure to ask me tonight if you're here in person or if you're at home, uh, call our church office and we'll be glad to give it to you there. Uh, also, while you're there uh, online, if you'll go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com, under the info tab, you can get this week's worship bulletin, so be sure to get that downloaded. A lot of upcoming things that are going to be happening soon, so want to make you aware of all those things even at home, as well as our children's worship bulletins are under that info tab. You can share the link, you can print it off, you can give it to anybody you need to. If you need those in person, they're over here in the windowsill to my right. Uh, also, this past Sunday, we gave out our Annie Armstrong Easter offering uh, prayer guide so, uh, for North American Mission. So be in prayer uh, for each of these missionaries that we have in here throughout the week. We're going to be sharing videos all throughout the month. Uh, coming up and into April as we get closer to Easter about our missionaries and so we'll be sharing those stories uh, with you more and more uh, as we get closer and then also while you're under that info tab if you'll get tonight's prayer list uh, downloaded this is last week's of mine I've got mine up here on my right here but be sure to get that downloaded if you will uh, and if you need to give us a prayer request at home be sure to do that on Facebook that's what I'm watching on my device here uh, to make sure if you have any prayer requests uh, you can also also do your online giving by going to the far right hand side click the give online tab uh, you can do your regular budget offering uh, you can do your Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions uh, you can do those things they're easy platform uh, set up we have quite a few who use that uh, you can do that in person too if you forget to give be sure to take the time uh, to do that too uh, so just wanted to make you aware uh, of all of those things And I'm doing uh, multiple hats tonight, so I'll put my other hat on <laughs> to lead us uh, through our hymn tonight. Uh, if you need your hymnal, it's page 308. Uh, there at home, you'll see the words uh, on the screen, as well as those who want to see that tonight on the screen. So. Help 
the spring of all my comfort more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside me? Whom in heaven but thee? Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on other thou art calling, do not pass me by. Amen. Thank you. As you hopefully at home have gotten your prayer list downloaded if you need one of those in person and didn't get one they're on the front row here we'll be glad to give one to you or you can come get it is there anybody else back there that didn't get one roger will bring some okay all right and so if anybody else comes in you see them make sure they know where they're at and they get one also <coughs> so we've got several uh, on the prayer list there, uh, just want to continue to pray for. Uh, we'll just go down the Highland Baptist Church family side. If you have any updates of any on there, if you have any updates at home, be sure to update uh, any of the prayer requests that we have listed there. Uh, if you have any new ones to add, we'll get to those in just a moment. But at home, you can go ahead and begin commenting those so that we'll uh, have those ready when that time comes. Uh, but remember S.W. and Carolyn Stone. Uh, Charles Saunders, he has been here with us, but he still continues to have some issues there uh, with his voice and with his throat, so continue to pray for him. Uh, Vicki Boswell has some ongoing uh, medical issues also, so keep her in your prayers. Uh, Mike Durham, uh, keep him in your prayers also. Uh, Brother Arthur Hargrove uh, has medical issues. He's at home, uh, and I don't think he's able to drive uh, right now, but just continue to keep him uh, in your prayers. Uh, if you, anybody have any update on him? Uh, next is Beverly Daniels. Anybody have an update on Beverly? Uh, the last I heard, she was doing fairly well, being able to get out and do things, and so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, just continue to remember Rosalie Moore. Uh, you, you don't know Miss Rosalie. She's 100 years old already from this past November and working on knocking on the door for 101 uh, coming up this year. So uh, do continue to keep her uh, in your prayers uh, too. And then Kim Saunders, uh, who has medical issues, Brenda Gilbert. Uh, Brenda still is having uh, pain in her back and stuff, and so uh, keep her in your prayers. Uh, Myra Watson, uh, she has some issues also, so want to uplift her in prayer. Mark Raymond still has some ongoing things with his uh, back also, so keep him in your prayers. Diane Tatum, she is recovering from her uh, back procedure. The procedure went well. She's not in pain from that, but just getting the strength back, going through physical therapy uh, for that. When you've had something like that happen for so long and you can't get around or can't move uh, and you're in such pain, you start losing the muscle uh, strength there. So she, just continue to pray for her for that. Uh, Brother Jack, we have you there. and. See the surgeon next Wednesday. Okay, so we want to keep him in prayer for that as he goes to see the surgeon, and then they'll uh, decide what they want to do uh, from there. Remember Miss Birdie Davis uh, in your prayers. She has some ongoing issues. Uh, Cindy Jordan 
Uh, keep her in your prayer. She's still in a lot of pain from uh, her ribs and, and everything else that she has going on. Uh, Miss Bernice Cox will be a long-term request also uh, as she has dementia, and so keep her in your prayers. And then uh, Donna Adcock, as well as Ken, we want to remember both of those uh, in our prayers and just uplift them. Miss Janet uh, has been doing good, but um, had a little spell the other day. I uh, talked with uh, Lynette, and she had a little spell the other day, but uh, is back at home, I believe, and, and uh, seems to be recovering from that. Uh, had some blood pressure issues uh, where it bottomed out on her, and so just keep her in prayer for that, but um, I'm sure she's one of our ones who listens a lot on our phone live streaming, so just know we're praying for you, Miss Janet. Uh, Want to pray for the family of Wanda Nichols, Todd, and his family uh, in her passing. Uh, Cindy Ingram had been in the hospital. Uh, we found that out last week, and we mentioned that. Um, the, uh, Pat's not in here right at the second, but she had given me the update on her earlier. Uh, but she is uh, still having some, some issues. She had been in ICU. Uh, they moved her out of ICU, but she's still having some issues um, with, with her medical situation that she's going through. In rehab. Okay. So she's at rehab at Winchester. And her issues were heart issues, right? Is that right? Okay. Uh, and then we sent a call out this afternoon. Uh, Lee McKelvey, uh, Miss Betty Glasner's uh, son, uh, had a heart attack this morning and is in the hospital here at Harton in ICU. Uh, so keep him and his family uh, in your prayers. That's the only update that we know uh, on his situation and his condition. Uh, too. So remember him in prayer. And then if you go over to the any other Highland Baptist Church family. Mm-hmm. And so that update was on Donna Adcock. Uh, she has a couple of more treatments, so keep her in prayer for that, as well as Ken's dad has moved in uh, with them and has some issues with PTSD, so, uh, and then all the other things that they've got going on there too. Uh, on the friends and family side, uh, you'll notice there, we'll just start from the bottom because that's where our most recent ones are. Uh, do take time to look over the others uh, that are on your prayer list. I do just continue to ask you to pray for my brother, Kevin Norman, uh, with his medical issues. He has uh, arthritis um, all over, and uh, they had also told us that he has uh, emphysema, uh, and so keep him in your prayers. Uh, John and John Frieda, John and Frieda Anderson. John Anderson is um, Miss Imogene's doctor's father, and she had asked for him to be uh, placed on the list uh, for prayer. And then Frieda, uh, she is in the nursing home, from what I understand. So keep her in your prayers. Uh, Jeff Wogelmuth, he uh, is at home recovering from his surgery. Uh, went as best as could be expected with it, but still has uh, issues there with it, and that kind of. Is that about right, Roger? Okay, That's, that was my understanding from his wife. Uh, and so, but do keep him in your prayers as he's still recovering from that. Uh, but we praise the Lord that he is where he is at now <laughs> because it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, and then also uh, remember uh, Ron and Donna Jackson's family uh, in the passing of her brother-in-law, Don Allred, 
remember them in prayer. And then uh, Don McKay is Linda Hawkersmith's brother. Uh, she asked yesterday if we would put him on the prayer list. Uh, he has a brain bleed, uh, and they were supposed to today do a procedure uh, to put something in, to, I'm assuming like a stent probably, uh, to strengthen the weak vessels that he has there. Uh, didn't hear an update on that. Okay. Okay. So he is still in surgery. So keep him in your prayers uh, through that and all the family there too. Any others we need to add? Any others we need to update? If you're at home, are there any we need to add for you? I don't see any comments there online of other than just that you're watching. I'm glad you're watching. And this is Steve Maybe, uh, for those of you who are at home listening, uh, who's back in the hospital, uh, had a bone marrow procedure yesterday, and so just a lot of things going on there that he still needs our prayer for also, as well as his chemo. Yes. <laughs> Robert Everett, he's doing better, and uh, we saw him... Uh, Sunday too and talked with him he's he's doing better so uh, keep him keep, just continue to keep him in your prayers but uh, he's doing better hopes to get rid of the doctor soon <laughs> any others check one more time there online I don't see any well let's go to the Lord in prayer for these then and uh, then we'll also be praying for our time of Bible study that we're going to be looking at the book of Joel <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your presence with us tonight. Father, we know that you are here, and we know, Lord, that you will hear our prayers if we come into your presence in the proper way. Lord, you've told us in your word that we need to confess our sins, and if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So we come humbly before you, Lord, asking you to forgive us of any ungodly thoughts we may have had, any ungodly deeds that we may have done. Uh, Lord, we just want to come tonight and bring ourselves to you and ask, Lord, for you to cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We don't want anything to stand in the way uh, of you hearing our prayers tonight as we uplift uh, each one of these on our prayer list. And we know that sin can be a hindrance in our time of prayer. And so, Father, we just come to confess those things even now as you bring them out into the light of your truth, into the light of your word. Lord, I pray that we will sense those areas. Maybe uh, we don't realize something we've done, Lord. Maybe there's something we should have done that we didn't do. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful to confess those sins before you. Father, I pray that as we do and you bring that cleansing to our hearts, Lord, may we sense and feel your presence and your power in our hearts and our lives in a powerful way. And we just ask, Lord, that you will uh, stir our hearts tonight through your word and the study of your word when we look at the book of Joel. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us in a powerful way tonight, uh, that we would hear your voice, we would obey all you've commanded us 
to do. And so, Father, we especially tonight want to bring each one of these on our prayer list, those that we've mentioned uh, and added to the prayer list, the updates that we've given, uh, and many others that maybe we haven't mentioned. Uh, we just want to uplift them all to you. We know that you are capable, you are able to take care of any of the situations in our lives. As we surrender it all to you, we pray for healing for these individuals, for you to touch them where they are, to bring that physical healing that needs to be there in their lives. Father, we pray that you'll use the doctors and nurses and those who are taking care of them to even bring about that healing. But we know you're the great physician. And so we just entrust them into your hands and ask for you to bring about that healing in whatever way that you would that would bring glory to your name and bring good into these individuals' lives. So wrap these individuals, Lord, in your loving arms. Let them know that you are with them. Give them the strength they need as they're going through the, the difficult times that they may be going through. Father, there may be other needs that they have besides the, the physical healing, maybe financial needs or, or emotional needs, or there may be uh, family needs, or there may be other spiritual needs. And so we know that your word has told us that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. So we especially ask God for your grace to be upon these individuals. Uh, just fill their cup, Lord, until it overflows. And we pray, Lord, that they will sense and feel your power and presence in their lives and that it will be a witness and a testimony to the people around them, to their family members, uh, to others, Lord, who know of them. And we just pray that you would use it, Lord, to bring even people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with our youth who are meeting tonight in the building. We pray, God, that you'll just continue to guard their hearts and their minds. Lord, lead them in your truth of your word and help them to follow you each and every day. Father, I pray that you'll be with our children in the Awana program and, and just bless them as they're memorizing scripture, as they're learning more about you. Uh, Lord, I pray that that word will be a lamp into their feet and a light into their path. And we just pray, God, your blessings upon all of those workers in our youth and in our, our children's programs with Awana and other programs uh, throughout our church. We ask your blessings upon uh, each and every one of them. Lord, continue to help us to see the opportunities around us that you bring across our path every day to be a witness uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether that's at our workplace or, or whether it's maybe someplace we maybe didn't intend to go that day. Father, I pray that we'll always be looking for those opportunities to just come alongside somebody and, and maybe just to start with asking them, how can we pray for them? And Father, I pray that as we do that, may you build those relation, help us to build those relationships with people. Father, I pray that you'll use the words we share with them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ as seeds in their hearts to help them to come to faith. And Father, we just pray for your blessings uh, upon uh, those individuals uh, who don't know Christ. Lord, strengthen us as believers to be faithful to walk uh, with you each and every day more faithfully than the day before. And Lord, I pray that your word tonight will be powerful, alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And may you speak to us tonight through the book of Joel. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We'll take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And we're going to be picking up uh, pretty much where we left off. I do want to kind of uh, hit just a little bit uh, to kind of refresh you of some of the points uh, that we looked at uh, last week so that you can kind of remember and be refreshed where Joel is at. You'll remember that uh, in the first chapter uh, of Joel, uh, Joel has uh, 
been sharing with us uh, what God has, is planning to do. If you don't know where the book of Joel is, uh, find uh, any one of those uh, Old Testament prophets, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and then find the book of Matthew. And about halfway between those, uh, you'll find Hosea, you'll find Joel uh, there. We talked about the invasion of the locust in chapter one, the judgment of God uh, that was coming. And in fact, I don't have the right title on the screen there. Uh, so it's not the judgment, it is the repentance and restoration that we see in chapter 2. The judgment is what we see in chapter 1. Now there's a call to repentance in chapter 1, uh, but we find out that Joel begins to talk about this term uh, that we uh, had talked about last time about the day of the Lord. And so he told us to sound the alarm in verse 1 down through verse 11. Uh, he was telling them to sound the alarm. Uh, and he talked about the trumpets there, to blow the trumpet. We talked about they were to make two silver trumpets. Uh, back in the early part of the Old Testament, uh, we find that out. And they were to use that at various occasions, various times. And one of the things was to warn uh, of something that was happening, an impending attack or, or, or judgment that was coming to get people to assemble uh, for various things. Uh, when they were in the tabernacle moving throughout the wilderness, they would sound those trumpets. Uh, when the pillar of cloud would lift uh, for them to be able to move, uh, they would sound the trumpets. It's time for us to move. And then when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire at night uh, would settle back down, uh, they would blow the trumpets that that's where they were supposed to stop at. And so we, we looked at that, looked at the, the locusts that were coming there, the judgment uh, that God was bringing. And then we got into the second part, God's plea to repent. Uh, that begins in verse 12. And so the question was, what can a sinner do in a period like this judgment that we saw in chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2 here? Well, in verse 12, let's go back and look at verse 12. He, he says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Now, that word turn or return there is uh, the word really that means that we learn so often that means repent. Uh, so God says to his people whose hearts are turned from him, repent, turn away from the direction you've been going and turn back and follow me. Uh, so repent primarily means a change of heart, a change of, of mind. It, it indicates that you're turning around. Uh, sometimes that may be involved some tears uh, along with repentance, but most of the time that's only a byproduct of repentance. Repentance really means to change your heart, to change your mind. So when God says, return to me <coughs> with all your heart, he means to repent and that the byproduct of that, the evidence of you repenting, one of the things that you're going to see is a fasting, a weeping, and a mourning. And so, uh, unfortunately, many people think that if they just walk down the aisle of a church, they shed some tears, uh, they've been converted, but they're not. In fact, verse 13 goes on to say, not only is there to be that fasting and weeping and mourning, but verse 13 says, and rend your hearts, tear your your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents 
over disaster. Now, we're just going to look first at that first part of verse 13, uh, because what you see there when he's saying this about rend, not, rend, rend your heart, not your garments, uh, this was to be a heart experience, not an outward experience. Because actually from the Mosaic law, uh, God had forbid the priests from tearing their garments. Uh, repentance wasn't to be shown in some fantastic way, in some showy uh, show. Uh, the tear, he says, is not to be with your clothes. The tear is to be in your heart. A and you're to return to the Lord. That's repentance. So he gives the reason why they need to return to the Lord in the last half of verse 13 when he says there that God is gracious merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now, in the book of Exodus and, and uh, Jonah, it deals with the question of what it means when God repents. So it says there he relents, or some versions will say he repents over <coughs> disaster. In the book of Exodus and the book of Jonah, uh, that question comes up there. Uh, what does it mean when God repents? Well, when Israel was in Egypt, it looked as if God had changed his mind, that he sent plague after plague to Egypt to give Pharaoh the opportunity to repent and turn to him, but he didn't. But also in Jonah's day, God sent Jonah, you remember, to preach to the Ninevites. And when he went to preach to the Ninevites, he preached to them that they would repent, that they would turn to the one true and living God. And so what did they do? They repented and they turned to God. And so God did not destroy the city. He said that's what he was going to do. But when they repented, they didn't. So it looked as if God had changed his mind after he said that he would destroy the city. And that's the whole reason that Jonah got mad with God and went over and sat under the plant there uh, that was growing up beside him. And, and he, he was frustrated with God, mad with God. God, you said for me to go and tell them you're going to destroy them, and now you're not going to destroy them. Now you're not going to bring the judgment you told me. He's kind of thinking in essence like we would think, you're kind of making me look like a liar, that I told him this is what's going to happen, and it didn't happen. And so when you read that text, it looks as if God changed his mind and says he won't destroy the city. But he didn't change his mind. Because God is immutable. God is irreversible. He's always gracious. He's always merciful. He's always slow to anger. And you can always depend upon God. That is God's heart and God's desire is for us to repent. Uh, he never changes. He is immutable. But when a sinner repents and turns to him, God in effect says this, you were under my judgment and I was going to judge you, but now that you have turned to me, I will not judge you. God is always gracious and ready to forgive. Because understand this, you were under the judgment of God until Jesus died on the cross for your sin. When he died on the cross for your sin, you had the opportunity and the privilege now to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior who took the burden of your sin, who took the judgment of your sin upon himself. You deserved it, not him. He, he, was, he was perfect. He was without flaw. He had not sinned. It wasn't his sin. It was our sin uh, that he took uh, on the cross. And, and so uh, when you read verse 14, he says, 
He says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So in other words, he says, the Lord will bless you again in the field and in the vineyard and, and you'll have a drink offering and you'll have a meat offering to bring to him. Now, incidentally here, the drink offering is mentioned here, yet there's no instructions in Leviticus for a drink offering. The drink offering was poured on the other offerings and became a part of them. So when it was poured on the sacrifice, it, it went up in steam from the coals. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that he wanted his life to be uh, just like that, like a drink offering uh, on the sacrifice uh, of Christ. And then he goes on to verse 15, and he says again, blow the trumpet. So now again he's telling them to blow the trumpet. The first time was to sound an alarm, but notice this time, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. And so at the beginning of this chapter, as we said, we saw the blowing of the trumpet for the alarm. Uh, in verse 15 here, it's a call to assemble together. And so the people were to be brought together to hear God's message so that they could have the opportunity to turn to God. It's one thing for the leader of a nation to turn to God. It's quite different for the nation itself, for the people of the nation to turn to God. Because you see that many times in the Old Testament. You'll see a leader who follows God, who gets rid of the idols, and as long as he's on the throne, things are going great. But as soon as he dies and is off the scene, the people are back to doing the same things they always did before because they themselves never had the heart change uh, themselves. Now that's speaking generally. I'm sure there were individuals who did, but in general, as a nation of Israel, they didn't. And so we find that God is gracious and he is good and he is willing to accept them. And so he says, consecrate a fast. A fast not only, you know, sometimes we think of a fast individually, but this is the nation that's going to join together to fast before the Lord. This is the nation that's coming together to call this solemn assembly. We've seen before that in the Mosaic system, God had given the people uh, only feast days. He didn't give them, here's a fast day that you're supposed to observe every year. Uh, they're always feasts that they're supposed to observe, uh, whether it's the Feast of Passover uh, or whether it's uh, the, the, the time of the, the Day of Atonement and that week that they're supposed to, to feast there also, uh, whether it's the Feast of the Tabernacles, whatever the feast is, uh, that's what he gave them. He never gives them days of fasting. Uh, they were to come before him rejoicing, but now they're in sin. Now they have been rebelling against him and have turned from him. And so he says, here's what I want you to do, to fast and come before him in a solemn assembly. What does a fast do? A fast is when we, we, we get rid of some, some people. Uh, you can do a fast in, in any number of ways. You can get rid of all the food except for maybe water uh, that you drink. You could, you, some people fast from TV, uh, from uh, electronic devices for a period of time. Uh, people fast in different ways and that. But it's all with the focus, not to make yourself healthier, to make yourself better. It's always with the focus of getting your heart attuned to God. That that is your primary focus. And I guarantee you, if you fast physically and you fast from food, at some point in that fast, you're going to be turning to the Lord. You're going to be praying, Lord, help me get through this time of fasting, whatever he's laid on your heart uh, to do. So that's one of the things we don't say, you know, everybody in the church is supposed to do a three-day fast uh, before we get to Easter. 
You know, or everybody's supposed to do a day fast. That's something the Lord leads you in your heart. But there were times here in the Old Testament where they did. And there would be times as believers where we probably should. In a time if we're seeking repentance, if we're seeking revival in God's church, that's times that we ought to come together and fast and have the solemn assembly before God. And so he's calling them together so they get this opportunity to turn back to him. So understand that the only way we can come to him is to come as sinners who are wanting to turn from our sin. If you've been turning from God and now you want to turn to God, all you have to do is call upon him and he'll save you. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You don't need to do anything but that. You don't need to join a church. You don't need to go through a ceremony. Uh, you, 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 promise, uh, you don't have to promise him something. If, if I do this, Lord, will you save me? Uh, he's already done everything that needed to be done. You just simply turn as a sinner to Jesus Christ for his mercy. And it's also interesting that the word for, for preaching or evangelizing or proclaiming the gospel is a word that means trumpet. That trumpet that he's talking about here, blowing the trumpet in Zion to consecrate a fast, to call assembly, the trumpet call of the New Testament is the gospel message that we're to be getting out into the world. So he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. That is to call uh, this solemn assembly. When people respond, to an altar call and they come down to the front uh, in, in, a, in a church service, that's a solemn moment, a solemn occasion before the Lord. They're testifying that they are turning from God and uh, turning to God from their sin. And, and that's serious business and, and shouldn't be done lightly. Uh, but I wanna emphasize again that it's not merely just going down to the altar that constitutes real repentance. So notice what verse 16, goes on to say, he says, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let, bridegroom, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Now, there's some interesting things that you'll see in that verse that sometimes when you get over to some other verses, even in the New Testament, that are a little bit different there. Because it sounds as if the little children were to be taken care of uh, in the nursery so their mothers could give uh, this assembly their full attention. Notice that even the bridegroom is to go to the assembly. Uh, when a man was married in Israel, uh, he was excused from going to war for a year. And so he didn't have to do that because uh, of that time of, of being married in that first year, the, being a bridegroom there. And, and so he was excused from a lot of duties so he could become acquainted with his, his bride. I mean, think about it in those days and especially in that culture, it wasn't like we have today where you have a, a long dating period maybe beforehand and then an engagement period of whatever that might be and then the marriage. The marriages were arranged there and so you might not even know your wife like uh, you think about Isaac when Rebecca came and she lit off the camel uh, there and that's the first time he ever met her and then he was married to her and, and then had to get to know her and so that's what that whole year uh, was about and you had the excuse you didn't have to go and do a lot of those things so maybe that was an advantage of, of for getting married uh, but God is saying here that everybody 
is to be gathered together, even the bridegroom and the bride, even if they're on their honeymoon. Nobody is excluded from this time of gathering together. And then he goes on to verse 17 and says, between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so he's saying here, the priests and the ministers of the Lord, they're to be weeping here between the vestibule and the altar. Joel uh, is in Jerusalem. He's a prophet of the southern kingdom. They were to pray. Israel had been scattered throughout the world. They've been scattered throughout the world to this day. And even though they have a nation and a government and a, and a flag, they, they still pretty are well subject uh, to the nations of the world. They're not fully back in the land today in fulfillment of prophecy. And so he says in the end part of, of verse 17 there, uh, he's telling them what they were wondering what was going to happen to them. Uh, and he says, uh, spare, he says, you're to pray, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so why would the people say that? It wasn't because of God. It was because of them. They weren't being the witness to the world that they needed to be. And so he's saying, cry out in repentance here that you would get your heart right, that you would get your life right so that your life, so that your witness is not uh, making uh, the name and the fame and the glory of God a byword. And so that the, the nations will not say amongst us, where is their God? But yet that is where we are so often in our society today that we are not showing the world Jesus Christ in our lives. And so uh, today that is still uh, the world's question. Uh, and, and these people, they were not right with God yet. And so until they come back in repentance to him, uh, he, he's not dealing with them as his chosen people. Today, God is doing a new thing. He's calling out from among uh, the Jews and the Gentiles a people to his name. We're seeing the stirrings of revival across our nation, even in other places around the world, because people have realized that in my life, I have been not, not professing and living the, to the glory of Jesus Christ in my life. And people are coming to the place of repentance. God is inviting whosoever will to come to Jesus, to come and be a part of his body. But then thirdly, we see the promise of deliverance. Here we see the restoration in verse 18. So they called the fast, they called the assembly, they gathered together, they consecrated the people. It means they, they prayed over the people, they assembled the elders, elders uh, the, el the priests, the ministers of the Lord, they wept, they prayed what the Lord had said. And verse 18 says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Now he's definitely moving here into the future because notice what verse 18 begins with, then. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Notice that that's a time word, then. It's going to appear several times in this chapter. 
when Jesus himself was on uh, the Mount of Olives and giving his discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 that we're soon to get to in our, our Sunday messages on the life of Jesus, Jesus used the word then to advance uh, in time the happenings that will take place in the great tribulation period. At the end of the great tribulation period, just before the Lord returns to this earth, then he will be jealous for his land and pity his people. At that time, the Lord will, will give them corn and, and oil and, and, and wine and they'll be satisfied and they won't, they won't be a reproach any longer amongst the world. So notice what the Lord says in verse 19 he answers and says to his people behold i am sending to you grain wine and oil and you will be satisfied and i will no more make you a reproach among the nations i will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea the stench and the foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things fear not O land verse 21 says be glad and rejoice for the lord has done great things and so what he's talking about here is still something that was going to happen then but it's that double meaning uh, that we talked about before uh, when a prophet is many times speaking there's something immediate that's going to happen in their in their situation but many times there's also the future events uh, because what we see here is they still were a reproach uh, to the nations uh, and so uh, when what he's talking about here is is in the future uh, even the most radical uh, of the radical today wouldn't say that this is being ful fulfilled now uh, the largest population of israel isn't in the land uh, there are more jews in in new york city than there are in israel there's still people in in russia and eastern europe uh, jews who are still coming back to the land and so this isn't totally fulfilled yet uh, and so this still is looking forward to the future. Yes, part of it happened in that day, but the rest, <coughs> the ultimate completion of that will happen in the day of the Lord that Joel continues to talk about, that begins with darkness and moves into the time of the millennium, uh, past uh, our rebellion that breaks out on this earth in the last days and, and on the beginning of the, the eternal kingdom. And so from here on, we're kind of bottled into that period that Joel is talking about there when he gets to verse 20 and he says, I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched land and a desolate land, the vanguard there. He's, he, other versions say the northern army uh, is certainly not talking about the locusts that we read about in chapter 1, uh, but it's talking about an army coming down from the north. Well, the army hadn't come down yet, so the army wouldn't be repealed yet, wouldn't be pushed back yet. And so this was partially fulfilled when the Assyrians came down and took the northern kingdom and God pushed them back so they didn't get the southern kingdom. But God miraculously delivered that southern kingdom, and it was another hundred years before the southern kingdom went into captivity. And then it was not the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians. And so yet there is still a future fulfillment of the removal of the northern army. That's given in more detail in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
in the Great Tribulation period. Uh, we know that there's a northern kingdom that many have described as Russia that would come down from the north, at least that area, that region. Uh, whether it's Russia particularly or not, it'd be in that area, so we assume it would be them that God will deliver. Uh, they'll come down from the north, and yet God is going to deliver uh, Israel. Uh, the description given here fits the description of the Battle of Armageddon uh, when you read here. And so he says, fear not, in verse 22, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. And so he goes on to talk about the, the Sea of Galilee is on one side, the Mediterranean Sea is on the other side of the Valley of Esdralon, uh, where the Armageddon takes place. Uh, and what we had seen in verse 20 is he's going to push the army into the sea on one side, uh, into the eastern sea, and into the western sea the Western Sea being uh, the Mediterranean Sea there. And so one of the things we don't always understand is that God is glorified when he judges sin as much as when he saves a sinner. And that's hard for us to always believe. Uh, sometimes that's just even a bitter pill, if you will, for us to swallow, that God is holy. And a holy, righteous God is going to judge. Every one of the prophets says that over and over and over. The Word of God has a lot to say about the judgment of God, but he doesn't like to judge. We've already seen that in that he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger. You know, judgment is a strange work for God. And that's why he holds out his hands all the day long and, and, and invites us continually to come to him. But when we refuse to come to him, he has to judge his people in his righteousness and in his holiness. And that's true even with the children of God. We do wrong if we don't judge ourselves. If we don't judge ourselves, God will judge us. And, you know, he disciplines us. He disciplines us to bring us back to himself. To be honest with you, we've had those times of discipline in our life, haven't we? You know, we ought to want to stick close uh, to our Heavenly Father because we don't enjoy the discipline of the Lord. But the tribulation period is going to lead to the coming of Christ to earth to establish his kingdom. And that's what verse 21 was saying. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. He says, fear not again in verse 22, you beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Verse 23, he says, be glad, O children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given the early rain for your vindication he has poured down for you abundant rain the early and the latter rain as before today the land is still under a curse they need water the land is far from from being a garden of Eden if you will uh, from from Jerusalem to Jericho it's desolate desolate desert like like it is in Arizona or California uh, and, and you'll notice uh, in, in these picture here, uh, as well as you see in the latter part of the New Testament there in the book of Revelation, the, the church isn't in this picture. Neither do we find the church in the, in the Olivet Discourse, uh, nor do you find the church after chapter 4 in the book of Revelation. Uh, the believers have been raptured and there's no longer a church on this earth. When the church gets to heaven, it, it won't be called the church because ecclesia, which is what the word church is, means the called out ones. 
uh, it won't be the called out ones any longer. The figure changes and will be called the bride of Jesus Christ. And so when you read verse 22 and verse 23, that's what he's talking about. So who are these children of Zion? Now, of course, they're the people of the southern kingdom. That's where Zion is located. You know, we sing sometimes, uh, we're marching to Zion, but we're not marching to Zion on this earth. Uh, when he speaks of the rain, he's talking about literal rain. Uh, and then you continue uh, on down, and in verse 28, uh, Joel's going to make an application of it in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that when we get there in just a moment. But he's referring to literal rain in this verse. So he says the former rain came in about the time season around October. The latter rain came in April uh, in that springtime. Uh, there are other passages in the Bible that speak of the former and the latter rains, which are quite literal rains in the land of Israel. You can see many of those places in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, Jeremiah, Hosea even, when we studied Hosea. Joel is talking about these literal H2O rains, which God has promised in the future. And then verse 25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Now, there's been a lot of sermons that have been preached on that in years uh, spiritualizing that passage, and it can certainly be used as an application with a great principle there. But we find the same thought in the book of Revelation where God says in Revelation 21, verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Here he's speaking of a new Jerusalem in this chapter. Those of the church, the sinners who have trusted Christ, are going to be there. He tells us how wonderful it's going to be. And the fact that when we get there, he's going to wipe away all our tears. Uh, there's not going to be any more suffering. Uh, what a change that's going to be. There are a lot of tears in this world. But we ought to rejoice because one day he's going to make everything new. That's why he goes on to say there, rejoice, celebrate. Uh, he's talking about a time of, of celebration there, be glad. Uh, and he says he's going to restore the years that the locust has eating, eaten. Uh, verse 24, uh, he says, the threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. So when you read all those prophecies that are about to happen, None of that all happened in Joel's day. None of that happened before they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. It was still a future thing that he was talking about. So verse 25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. We know that's not been fulfilled completely. He says in verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. So twice he makes sure to remind us of that. And so all this, uh, this is all going to take place when he's in the midst of Israel. That's when Jesus has come to this earth to establish 
his kingdom. At that time, there's going to be a fulfillment of all the physical blessings which God has promised uh, to the nation of Israel. Uh, and the blessings in the Old Testament were largely physical blessings. God promised to bless the land so that they would have these great crops and, and the cattle would thrive and multiply. Actually, the spiritual blessings seem almost secondary. It's con in contrast to that, the blessings God has promised the church are spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings only. And so we have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ uh, already. And so he goes on to talk about, finally, God's promise. And, and this is where we see the, the application that Jesus, and in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, begins to pull back from the book of Joel to show the fulfilling of the prophecy that comes about in the days when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry. So it says in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward, after all this physical blessing that happens, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, what does he say? On all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. He says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Did that happen in Jesus' day? That didn't happen in the New Testament church's day. Because notice it says, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now we know the sky went dark when Jesus was on the cross, uh, but the ultimate fulfillment of that comes in, in the tribulation time. In verse 32, it says, and then leading into the millennial reign, it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who? He didn't say the nation of Israel. If the nation of Israel calls on, he says everyone. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about everybody across the face of the planet. He says, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those who, whom the Lord calls. And so as you come to that section, it's important to keep in mind that we're in the prophecy of Joel that began uh, with, uh, here with the record of this locust plague that happened, that, which he compared uh, to the coming in the future. Uh, he calls it the day of the Lord. We've seen that the day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period last week. Uh, and, and after which Christ will come, establish his kingdom. Verse 27 that we just read, uh, that the Lord at that time will be in the midst of them. And, and then you see what he's going to do there in verse 28 to verse 32. Uh, so understanding that prophecy is, is of utmost importance to note the time and the fulfillment indicated. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Joel's been telling us about the coming of the day of the Lord. So as the first of the writing prophets, he introduces that term. And he tells us what's going to take place during that time. And he emphasized the fact that it's going to begin with the darkness, the great darkness of the great tribulation period. Remember the importance of the time sequence in Hosea. Hosea 3 and verse 5 uh, that says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in, to, they shall come in fear to the Lord and to the goodness in the latter 
days. And we define the latter days as that time of the great tribulation that ushers in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to conclude that Joel here is speaking of a very definite period of time that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in, the day of the Lord, uh, and that God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And so even though Joel is the first here, he's not the only one to mention the pouring out of the spirit. Isaiah mentions it. Uh, he says, until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Uh, he's speaking of the kingdom that's coming uh, in the future days. And of course, none of the prophets spoke uh, of the church. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He's talking to a particular people, to a particular land here, to Israel. It's also a particular period of time that God's going to pour out his spirit. Ezekiel 37, 14 says, And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord but that's not all Ezekiel 39 verse 29 goes on to say I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel declares the Lord and then Zechariah Zechariah is one of the last of the writing prophets and he says in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 he says and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And so Joel makes it clear in that passage that we're discussing uh, there. He, he talks about that there also. He, in verse 32, he's referring to a certain place uh, on the map. And so the question arises, what did Peter mean when he refers to this passage on the day of Pentecost, did he mean that the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled? He didn't say that. He never claimed it was fulfilled. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, they began to speak uh, to Jews who had come to Jerusalem from all over uh, the Roman Empire. Every person heard the message uh, in their own tongue. There weren't unknown tongues uh, in which the disciples were speaking. Every tongue was a native tongue. They heard in their own language, uh, and many believed. But other others began to mock and, and to say that the disciples were drunk, that they were filled with wine. And so Simon Peter is the one who gets up to answer them, and he acts as the spokesman, if you will, for the group, and he gives the answer to the accusation that they were drunk, and it says in Acts 2.14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice to, about the accusation there and addressed them and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my works, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, Peter says you wouldn't find people drunk in the morning. And so Peter continues and says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel in Acts 2.16, he says that. 
So Peter doesn't say it's a fulfillment of what Joel said, uh, but the gospel writers and the apostle Paul are very clear when they say something is a fulfillment of a prophecy. You can see it in many places. They'll use the terms uh, that it was fulfilled, uh, and, and over and over they'll repeat that. You see that in Matthew 2, 17 and 18, or, or Acts 13 in the Sermon of Paul at, at Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, he uses that to talk about something that's been fulfilled. Uh, this has fulfilled, uh, been fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Uh, Acts 13, verse 32 and verse 33. So the Bible is very definite about a fulfilling. So when Paul, Peter says in Acts 2.16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, he is saying, uh, rather he's saying here, this is what or that, this is like that or similar to that. If you go back in your mind to the day of Pentecost, you'll realize Peter wasn't talking to Gentiles. He was speaking to the Jews who knew the Old Testament. Uh, and, and he quotes Joel's prophecy there uh, that it's something that's still to happen in the last days. When he quotes there in verse 17 and says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That day is yet to come. And what a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. I want to encourage you to make sure that you're ready before the day of the Lord comes. That you would trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you know Jesus, that when he comes, you would be found faithful that he could say of you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know there's so much more we could get into uh, in these passages, but Father, I pray that we'll understand the importance of, of realizing that you have made these promises in the book of Joel that have looked through time and eternity. Some was fulfilled in, in Joel's day. Some of it came to pass in, in, in the New Testament days, but the ultimate complete fulfilling of these passages are still to come when you are going to pour out your spirit upon all the peoples of this earth. Father, I pray that you will begin even now pouring your spirit out upon us. Lord, that we would come to a place of repentance in our hearts, a place of seeking restoration in our hearts to you. And Lord, I pray that you would send a great sweeping revival. Lord, I know when we say that, we say we want revival, Lord, I pray that we truly, really do, because that means some changes in our life, that we are no longer heading a direction that we were in, in some sin in our life or some thought that we were having in our life, but now we are focused on you and following you in every step and every path of the way. Father, I pray that you would help us, lead us, guide us, and help us to be faithful to the very end. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given us here in Joel of the great day that's coming, that we'll be in your presence. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. And, Father, I pray that we'll trust in you through to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us there online. We'll be back again this Sunday, 9.15 for Sunday School, 10.30 for worship. Uh, join us in person if you can. It's a wonderful blessing to be amongst God's people in person. Uh, if you can't, you can join us there at 10.30. We'll be back in the life of Jesus, heading towards Matthew 24 and 25 of that Olivet Discourse of Jesus talking about the last days himself. But you have a blessed week. You stay safe, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.